We've been, uh, prior to my vacation, we were talking about living supernaturally. Does anybody remember that theme at all? A few of you. Good. Okay. And I want to just kind of continue on that theme uh, this weekend and certainly tonight. And there's a dynamic that is that is essential to our life. And if, in fact, we are to live out this dynamic, it requires that we do so with God's power in our life. And I want to talk to you about being thankful. Being thankful people, giving thanksgiving. And so we want to open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to focus on verse 20, but I want to read the preceding verses because they have a bearing, and especially verse 18 has a bearing on this. Are we to be spiritual people? Are we to live supernaturally? Yes, we are. We are, we are a whole new community of people that God has created and planted in this world to evidence His grace, His love, His power, His joy, His peace. And we're a people who are to be marked by those things, and especially marked by this uh, uh, whole concept, this whole idea of being thankful. It's not something that necessarily comes natural to us, and especially in difficult times. True? Hence, we need God's grace and His power in our life. Verse 15, we'll begin reading there. Uh, Paul says, now be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now it would be wisdom to live supernaturally as opposed to just devote yourself to naturally living. Isn't that true as a Christian? So we want to be wise people. And he says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Would you agree with me that the days are evil? Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Now this is, this is essential. He's going to open up to us, again, an insight into God's will for our life. So we want to pay attention to this. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You could also say, don't let anything else fill up your life. Not just wine, drugs, pornography, TV, worldly attitudes, the ways of the world. Uh, these things all do lead to debauchery in one form or another. So what do we fill our life with? He says, instead, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And the idea is, be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the idea is an ongoing, continuous, present process. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a little bit, about how you actually do that. So as it said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And as you're filled with the Spirit, you'll find yourself speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He says, sing and make music to your heart in the Lord. There's going to be a, a change in your life. When was the last time you sang to your neighbor? You, made, you, uh, you, you sang a hymn or a spiritual song to somebody. See, we don't very often do that, but it's an expression, what? Of the fullness of God's Spirit in our life breaking forth. We must express 
the joy of God in our life. And how best to do that except to sing. And when you're full of the Spirit, your inhibitions somehow are allayed. You're not so intimidated and, and fearful to do those things. And then he says, verse 20, and this is, the, this is the focus of our time tonight. And sometimes give thanks to God the Father for many things. No. Notice the words. I want you to underline those words. Because you can pass over that first word of that verse very quickly. Always. Always giving thanks to God the Father. For what? For everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we, we, we are not, we will not express thanks always and for everything unless we are continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. We must live Spirit-filled lives. That's what He's called us to. That's what He's made available to us. That's what He wants us to do. And anybody, any Christian with, with, with any sense at all would say, well, that's what I want too. I want to be full of the Spirit. I want to be this kind of a person. Does that make sense? So let's talk about this idea of giving thanks and being a thankful person. I've discovered that people have one of three possible attitudes towards giving thanks. The first attitude is that being thankful is unnecessary. There are people who think expressing thanks, giving thanks is absolutely unnecessary. Because they think that they deserve everything that they have, every good thing, and even more than they have. It's just unnecessary. Now, I want to give you an example. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, I want you to read about somebody who personifies this attitude. This is the, the parable of the rich farmer that Jesus tells and certainly many of you are familiar with it. Verse 16, Jesus told them this parable. Now the parable, the parable speaks to one issue. We're not going to focus on that issue. That's the, the, the seeking to store up wealth and so forth. But in the context of the parable, there is something that is notably missing. And that's Thanksgiving. That's an attitude of thanksgiving. I want to suggest that this rich farmer exhibits an attitude of presumption. He's presumptuous about his future. He is ungrateful for his past, the prosperity that God has blessed him with. Nowhere in the parable do you see him saying, God, I thank you for what you have given. I thank you for what you provided. Rather, he is presumptuous. Read it with me. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Isn't that curious? The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Is that just a, a coincidence that he, he happened to land on that ground? Or do you think that maybe God designed that he should be there and God, God causes the, uh, the ground to produce the crop? And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. In other words, he's got tremendous crops coming in. doesn't have enough place to store them. He says, 
This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Is there any note of an attitude of thanksgiving to God for the richness and the blessings and the plentitude that he's experiencing? No. I, when I read that, I read between the lines and I, I detect an attitude of presumption. No gratitude at all for the past blessings and t- certainly presumption for the future. Well, I'll just build bigger barns. I'm presuming that I'm going to have continued wealth. He doesn't even take God into consideration. And not feeling the need to thank God, I think, is, is worse than ingratitude. It is akin to rank unbelief. Here is a man who, as you read about him, has no, no sense at all that God has provided for him. No attitude of thanksgiving. He is as an unbeliever. So we want to guard against this, this attitude that giving thanks is unnecessary. How many parents do we have? Do we train our children to say please and thank you? Yes. Not just to, because it's polite, but because it's necessary. It's right to say thank you. You remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He talked about people who, although they knew God, they didn't acknowledge Him as God, nor did they give thanks. Giving thanks is absolutely vital to our life because it's an expression of dependency. God wants us to acknowledge not only Him, but our dependence on Him. And as parents, we certainly want our kids to acknowledge that, don't we? We don't want them to presume on our kindness and our goodness and our provision for them. We want them to grow up with a healthy perspective. So the first attitude that people have towards Thanksgiving is that, fact, quite frankly, it's unnecessary to say thank you. There's a second attitude, and this is the attitude I call of the hypocrite. This is the attitude of the hypocrite. This is the attitude of somebody who says thank you to God, but they really don't mean it. It is not sincere, and it is not heartfelt. It's hypocrisy. And for an example of that, turn to Luke chapter 18, just a few pages further on in Luke's Gospel. Another familiar passage. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now notice notice Luke's comment in verse 9. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Does that sound like a hypocrite? He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee one and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed, how? About himself, or you could also translate that to himself. He's just talking to himself. Now notice, he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
He's talking to himself. He's congratulating himself. He's patting himself. I'm not like this guy. Though he mouths the word God, though he mouths the phrase, God, I thank you, he is not sincere. He is a hypocrite. His thankfulness is to himself and for himself. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. Self-made man. Well, good. That relieves God of any responsibility, doesn't it? And he uses, he uses God's name only, very simply, to call greater attention to his own hypocrisy. His own lack of humility. So we've got, we've got people whose attitude is, well, giving thanks is unnecessary. Another group of people are hypocritical about it. They really don't. Give God sincere thanks. They may mouth the words, they may call on his name, but they're not really genuine from their heart. Now there's a third, there's a third group of people, a third attitude towards giving thanks. And this is the attitude of the truly thankful person. Now look at Luke chapter 17. There's another example here. In Luke chapter 17, verse 11. There are some lepers. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And ten men who had leprosy met him. Lepers were outcasts in the culture. Typically, if they saw other people coming, they would have to warn the other people and say, unclean, unclean, so that other people would know that they have leprosy. They were not allowed in, in Israel to have physical contact. They would contaminate other people. It was a ceremonial thing as much as it was a physical uh, problem. So they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now the priests were the, uh, the health inspectors of the community. And you would always go, you'd present yourself to the priest, and the priest would inspect you, and if he found any spots of disease, he would declare you still unclean, you'd still have to be separated from the community. But if you were clean, if you were healed, if, if uh, the disease was no longer there, he would pronounce you clean, and you could uh, once again join the community and have fellowship. Otherwise, you had to remain on the outside. So Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. Now one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. So here's someone who is truly thankful. Praise God with what kind of voice? A loud voice. Man, would you be excited? Wow, praise God, I'm healed! He hustles back to Jesus. Throws himself at Jesus' feet, and all he can do is thank him. Do you think his, his thankfulness was sincere, genuine? I think it is. He's unlike, unlike the Pharisee that we read about earlier. He's certainly unlike the rich farmer. This man exhibits a genuine attitude of thankfulness. Now, his thankfulness was an expression of three things. And when you are thankful to God, your thankfulness ought to be an expression of these same three things. And these are the three things that I, that I think are uh, important for you to write down. There's, if 
find some room on your notes there to get them. First of all, his thankfulness was an expression, quite frankly, of his dependence or his trust in Jesus. It's an expression of his dependence, his trust in Jesus. Just like uh, a moment ago when we talked about Romans chapter 1, verse 21, although they knew God, they never acknowledged him as God, nor gave thanks. Both are expressions of dependence. We are dependent on God. We are dependent on God. And his giving thanks was an expression of his dependence or his trust in Jesus. Secondly, his thankfulness was an expression of his recognition that he was helpless in himself. He was helpless in himself. He can't heal himself. So it goes hand in hand with being dependent on Jesus. So when I give thanks, I'm acknowledging my trust and my dependence on him. I'm acknowledging that in and of myself, I am helpless to do anything about this situation. Taking matters into my own hands. And thirdly, it's an expression that his healing was undeserved and entirely by God's grace. Undeserved and entirely by God's grace. Those three dynamics are encompassed by this thing, thankfulness. Thankfulness to God. What God has done for us is by His grace and is undeserved. So we have a truly thankful person. Question. Are we more prone, are we more prone to ask or to thank? We're more prone to ask. In the book of Psalms, what do you think is more prominent? Which of the two? Praise and thanksgiving are far more prominent than petition. If you read the book of Psalms, there are far more passages, far more verses, far more statements by the psalmists that express thanksgiving and praise and worship than petition. The psalms are instructive to us. And notice, the psalms are prayers that God has written and given to us so we know how to pray. So when you're at a loss to, to know how to pray, open the book of Psalms and begin to pray through the Psalms. Marvelous, marvelous catechism, if you will, on prayer. How do believers come into their Father's presence? How do the Psalms instruct us to come into our Father's presence? Psalm 100 and verse 4 says what? Enter his gates with and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. How do we come to him? We come to him with thanksgiving. We come to him with thankful hearts. We come to him with, we're thankful that we can just come to him. Aren't we? We're thankful that we can come to him without cringing and without fear, without guilt. That's the greatest thing. I mean, we, even, even the most knowledgeable and, and, uh, and uh, instructed Christian and even the most mature Christian at times struggles with guilt, huh? Because, well, we haven't done enough, or I haven't read my Bible enough, or how could God be happy with me? Because we live with ourselves. We know how, how ugly we can be inside sometimes, and how lazy, and how um, foolish. 
And so sometimes we think, well, how can I go to God? Gosh, I'm thankful I can go to Him. No matter what. He longs for me to come. Because of what Jesus did on that cross, He'll never, ever be mad at me again. I love that. Never. He loves for me to come to Him. He loves for me to to just come. He loves to embrace me. And so I'm thankful to that. I'm thankful for that. So I enter his gates with thanksgiving. I enter his courts with praise. I am so excited to be able to come to him. Now when are we to be thankful? What does verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 5 say? When are we to be thankful? Always. Always. Now this is important. This is important. Because sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense to us to be thankful always. Because there's sometimes when we don't feel like being thankful. Isn't that true? When my circumstances are such that it just doesn't make sense to be thankful. But to see, to be thankful always, note, to be thankful always is to recognize God's control of our lives in every detail. When you're thankful always, you're acknowledging, you're recognizing God's control over your life and in your life over every detail. For what purpose? What's His purpose? To make us like Him. That's right. Isn't God's purpose to conform us to the likeness of His Son? Romans chapter 8. And so every detail, he's sovereign over every detail. He's moving in every detail of our life. He knows exactly what's going on. He's the great master engineer of our life. There's nothing that escapes him. Nothing that he's not sovereign over. Because he is using everything to make me like Jesus. So I can thank Him always. I can thank Him always. I do thank Him always, 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 because I know every single thing is part of that plan, part of that working in my life. Nothing is excluded. And to be thankless, to be thankless, is quite simply to disregard His control, is to disregard Christ's lordship in my life and to disregard the Holy Spirit's work in me. So when I'm not being thankful, I'm disregarding God's sovereign control. I'm disregarding the lordship of Christ over my life. I call him Lord, Lord, don't I? And I'm disregarding also the work of the Holy Spirit in me to conform me to the likeness of Jesus. All of that is wound up in an attitude of thanklessness. But when I'm thankful, I'm thankful for those things and for what he's doing in my life and for what he's doing through my life. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yes. I think that probably nothing must grieve the Holy Spirit so much as the believer who does not give thanks. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. 
And there's lots of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think probably one of the greatest things that grieves them is the lack of an attitude of thanks, thanklessness. I mean, just put yourself as a parent. When you're doing great things and you're fashioning your child's life, when you, you've got a plan and a purpose and you're praying and you're instructing and you're disciplining, you're raising this child up, and there's nothing but thanklessness that comes back. Does that not grieve your heart? Sure. Imagine God. Imagine the Holy Spirit. When God brings trials, when he brings difficulties into our lives, and we complain and grumble, we, in effect, question his wisdom, we question his love, and we question his sovereignty. As if this trial, this difficulty, somehow doesn't fit, somehow doesn't have a place, somehow uh, God doesn't have the ability to do anything with it. Somehow it falls outside of his love. Well, how can God possibly love me? He's let this happen to me. This thing has happened, and this thing has happened. Some trial, some difficulty, some major disappointment. How can that be an expression of God's love? I don't know, but it is. If I don't have that hope, I'm going to be miserable. So again... I want to take Paul's admonition to always give thanks. Always give thanks. Now also, just as there are three attitudes towards thanksgiving, there are three levels of thanksgiving. And I think this is important for us also. The first level is probably the easiest, it's the simplest. This is giving thanks when we are blessed. Is that a difficult thing? No, it's not. Uh, When things are going well, when God grants our requests, when He's especially blessing our life, when we benefit from His kindness and His grace, when we're happy, we are grateful. Isn't that true? So the first level is very simply uh, when we are blessed. When we get the job that we want. We get the car that we want. We're delivered from some sickness. We we have a reconciliation with our spouse. Uh, And it goes on and on and on. All these things that we want to have happen, all these blessings in our life, um, all these wonderful, pleasant things, when these happen, it's easy to give thanks in those situations. You have to work hard to contain yourself not to give thanks, certainly if you're if you're a Christian, to be grateful to the Lord. And it is right to thank Him for blessings, isn't it? If you read in the book of Exodus, you might want to just mark this reference down, look it up later. Exodus chapter 15, the first 21 verses, records the scene is Moses and the Israelites have just been delivered from Pharaoh and his army and come through the Red Sea experience, and God has just set them free from slavery. So they've come to the other side of the Red Sea now. The army, the, the Egyptian army, just been drowned and totally destroyed. And Moses and the Israelites sing this beautiful song, the song of Moses, a genuine expression of praise and gratitude to God for his delivering them from sure death. Would you be glad? 
If you were an Israelite and you, you, your back was up against the Red Sea, you saw the Egyptian army coming, you knew for sure there's no way out. You're going to get annihilated, if not carried back into slavery and treated more harshly than ever before. Then all of a sudden, you see the Red Sea open. Whoa! Now, you don't have time to give thanks yet, do you? You just want to scurry across there. You get to the other side. You look back and the Red Sea closes in over the whole Egyptian army. You're going, oh, do you see that? And finally, when everyone's assembled, Moses says, I think we ought to give thanks. What do you think? See, it's good. It's right to give thanks to God for blessings and protection and deliverance in our life, certainly. But thankfulness for blessing is easy, isn't it? And it doesn't require much maturity, does it? No. That leads us to the second level of thankfulness. The second level of thankfulness is being grateful, being thankful for the hope of blessing, for the hope of victory yet to come. In other words, we don't yet see it. We hope for it. We want to see something happen. The first level of giving thanks is after the fact. The second level of giving thanks is before the fact. It's in anticipation of the fact. And thanking God before a blessing, I think, is more difficult than thanking God after. And it does require uh, faith. It does require a greater spiritual maturity. The second level is where, really, faith and hope begin. Because... It involves the unseen and the yet unexperienced. So I, I can thank him easily for what he does. But then there's another level of thankfulness for what I hope for, what I anticipate. I thank him in advance. Now that requires faith. That requires that we have a hope and a confidence in him. Would you agree? John chapter 11 records Jesus. This is at the tomb of Lazarus. Many of you remember this. The tomb of Lazarus, remember Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, he's dead, and and he says, roll the stone back, and they say, no, because he'll stink. Nonetheless, they roll the stone back anyway. But before he does anything else, he prays out loud so everyone can hear. And what does Jesus pray? I thank you, Father, that you hear my prayer. You and I can pray the same way. You and I can say, Father, I thank you that you hear my prayer. I thank you that you'll answer my prayer. See, I have faith. I have, I have hope. I have, hope is not some weak wishing. Hope is a confidence that he's going to answer my prayer. That's exactly what Jesus exhibits. It's, he does it in anticipation. And then, of course, what happens? We see that that Lazarus, now then, Jesus has now come forth, and God raises him from the dead. Marvelous thing happens. But he knew that his father heard his prayer. Do you know that God hears your prayers? Do you have confidence that God hears your prayers? And he hears your prayers not on the basis of you being good enough, earning it, being worthy enough. On what basis does God hear your prayer? Jesus, that's right. What Jesus did on that cross. The door is open, isn't it? The veil has been torn. There's no barrier between us and God. 
He hears our prayers. Isn't that amazing? That's called the grace of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's another marvelous example of this, uh, praying in anticipation of deliverance. The, uh, the uh, inhabitants of Judah were about to be attacked by the Ammonites and the Moabites. A tremendous large army was, was weighing in a battle against them, and they were certainly uh, no match for their enemies. And King Jehoshaphat, when you read about it, it's marvelous, he proclaimed a fast amongst the people and uh, prayed before all the people. And he prayed that God's power and God's goodness could be seen. He proclaimed in his prayer that God was powerful and God was good and merciful. He acknowledged Judah's weakness, that they couldn't stand by themselves, and if God didn't deliver them, they would surely be destroyed. This is what Jehoshaphat prays. And then in verses 20 through 22 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, let me read these verses to you. Just write those, that reference down. This is, this is marvelous. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Now, how can Jehoshaphat say that? Because he has hope in God. He has faith in God. And he says to them, He says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And here's the song they were singing. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Imagine that. Who did, who did Jehoshaphat send out at the head of the army going out to battle? The worship team. He sent the worship team out. He hid behind the worship team. He said, go out there and sing. What were they to sing? Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Say that with me. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. You see? And what happened? Did they have to engage the enemy in battle? No. The Lord set ambushes. The Lord confused. The Lord destroyed the enemy before them. But what did they do? They gave thanks in advance. They gave thanks in advance. They were bold to give thanks in advance. I want to suggest that this requires some measure of faith and confidence in God to give thanks in advance. Would you agree? Now, the third level of thankfulness, and this is probably the most difficult, this is giving thanks in the midst of the battle. This is giving thanks while we're still undergoing trials, trouble, testing, suffering, grief, even when it looks like we're going to fail, even when it looks like we're being overwhelmed. Giving thanks anyway. 
expressing dependence on Him. God, I can't deliver myself. You're my deliverer. I thank you that your love endures forever. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that my life is in your hands. I thank you that you care for me. Here's Daniel in the face of a life-threatening situation, still openly giving thanks to God for who he is and for what he has provided. Even though his life was at a risk, Daniel thanked God because God deserved thanks. God is worthy of us thanking him. No situation should be so intimidating to us that we don't thank God. Jonah is another example. How many remember the story of Jonah? Remember Jonah was called by God to go and pronounce judgment uh, on uh, the Ninevites. And uh, he chickens out. He chickened out because he didn't want God to save them. He wanted God to destroy him. So he figures if, he don't, if I don't go up there, then God will destroy him for sure. So he cuts out. He doesn't do what God calls him to do. And he goes on a long voyage, and uh, inevitably he gets, goes overboard, and God retrieves him. How does God retrieve him? He's swallowed by a giant fish. What a fish story. God retrieves him by a giant fish. Now I want you to listen to Jonah's words in his prayer, in the belly of the fish. And you can read it for yourself in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, but I want to call your attention to verse 9. Nowhere, by the way, in this prayer does Jonah ask for deliverance. Nowhere in the prayer does he ask for deliverance from this fish. Instead, he praises God for past deliverance, for God's faithfulness. He acknowledges his own sinfulness, his own unfaithfulness. And he closes that prayer with a declaration of thanksgiving for his goodness. And he says in verse 9, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. With a song of thanksgiving. Here he's in the belly of this fish. I don't know about you, but if I was in the belly of the fish, God, get me out of here! Get me out! See, preservation. Preservation. But Jonah has this confidence in God that that's not his first thought. His first thought is, I want to give you thanks. I want to acknowledge my unfaithfulness. I want to thank you and praise you for your faithfulness to me in my past. He's not thinking survival. He's thinking, praise God, thank God, in the midst of it. In the midst of it. And so Daniel also. Beloved, if we, if we can only thank God when things are going well, our, our thankfulness ranks real low on the ladder of faithfulness and, and trust. It's easy to thank God when things are going well. But what about when things aren't going well? If we can thank Him in anticipation of what He'll do in our lives in the future, we show a greater degree of faithfulness, don't we? But to thank Him while we're in the midst of pain, to thank Him while we're in the midst of trial, to thank Him when we're in the midst of suffering, whole new ballgame. And that shows, I think, a level of maturity that few Christians seem to know today, especially in our environment. 
Most of us, in the midst of these kinds of things, we don't give thanks. We cry and moan and complain and gripe. We accuse God. We wag our finger at Him. We say, you're unfair. Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you let this happen to me? We go on and on and on when all God wants to do is to hear us thank Him. Because it's an expression of our what? Our trust in Him. I trust you. I trust you. I know you're doing a good thing in me. I know that you're shaping my life. I know that you're conforming me to the likeness of Jesus. You think that that's what he wants from us? Again, our own children. We want our children to respond, I trust you, Mom. I trust you, Dad. I know that this discipline is necessary. I thank you for it. Now, that's not part of our human nature. Our human nature says reject, reject, resist, resist. But we've been given a new nature, haven't we? A supernatural nature. We are partakers in the divine nature, the Bible says. For what are we to give thanks? Everything. Everything. For all things. Always. Giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always and for everything. You say, wait a minute. That's just a bit much. Yes, it is. It's impossible. You can't do it. Except that you are moment by moment committed to being filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to live a fulfilled, blessed life? You want to live a life that, regardless of the circumstance, is is a rewarding, enriched, enhanced life? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Give yourself to what God wants. Beloved, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to God is that of a thankful heart. What can you give to God? Money? Sure. But give it from what? A thankful heart. Give obedience? Yeah, why? Because you're thankful. That's one of the greatest gifts we can give to God is a thankful heart. God, I thank you. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. I want to honor you with all of these things as an expression of my trust and my thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, because he says, This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. The Spirit-filled heart sees God's gracious hand. Now listen to what I'm saying. The Spirit-filled heart, the Spirit-filled person sees God's gracious hand in everything. The Spirit has opened your eyes. The Spirit allows you to see things with a whole new perspective. In every circumstance, the Holy Spirit lets you see that in all things, all things, all things, God is working for your good. He's transforming you. He's changing you. The spiritual believer sees God's wise and God's loving care in the difficulties and trials as well as in the blessings and the prosperity. 
God, you know what's best. You know your purpose. You know me better than I know me. You know how best to get me from point A to point B. God says to us in Isaiah, chapter 55, He says, He says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Point is, He's trying to get us to think the way He thinks. He's trying to get us to look at the things the way, the way He looks at them. But sometimes, most of the time, we're just so puny and pusillanimous in our thinking, aren't we? We're so narrow in our perspective. Somebody wrote a book and said, the title of it was, Your God is Too Small. For most Christians, their God is too small. Their perspective of God. We need to just let God be God. And the way you let God be God, among other things, is to express thanksgiving no matter what. Because you trust Him. And He's working in your life. spiritual believer, the truly spiritual believer, thanks God for a job, even if the job is demanding and unfulfilling. See, if your job is demanding and unfulfilling, do you thank Him for it anyway, or do you complain about it? Yeah, we thank Him for it. I mean, I love my job. I love my boss. The spiritual believer thanks God for his or her health, even though that health would not be what they would like it to be. doesn't mean you don't pray and ask God to bless you with greater health, like we prayed for Ken and Joan and for Bernadette and others. But the point is, is you're not going to complain. You can say, Lord, I know, I know. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The spiritual believer thanks God even when maybe his dearest loved one is taken away. Remember Job's words? Chapter 1, verse 21. Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Well, that's hard to say. That's hard to say. And you can't say that glibly. You have to grow into that. You have to mature into being able to say that. You have to be spiritual to say that and have it be real. Would you agree? What's the ultimate goal of our life? What's the ultimate goal of our life? Glorify Him, isn't it? That God be glorified. The ultimate goal of your life, the ultimate goal of my life, the ultimate goal of our lives individually and as well corporately as a congregation is to bring Him glory. What do you think is one of the best ways to glorify Him? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And the reasons for Thanksgiving are all the things that He's done in our life. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be glorified in my life. Glorify yourself in the church. Glorify yourself, Lord, in this earth. Thank you for what you're doing. To glorify God is to thank Him no matter how much we may hurt, no matter how much we may be disappointed, no matter how much we may fail to understand. To thank Him. You say, well, are you just saying to be mindless about it? No, 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 I'm not saying... You may not have all the details. You may not understand fully. 
Most of us don't. But the issue is, does God still deserve our thanksgiving? Yes. Yes. And the only person who can genuinely give thanks for all things is the person whose life is marked by genuine humility. That's a spiritual person, truly. A spiritual person is the person who has emptied themselves. Isn't that true? Deny themselves. Put off selfishness, self-centeredness, and open themselves up to being filled with the Holy Spirit. That person can truly thank God always and for everything. Spirit-filled. Because that person knows that he doesn't deserve anything. He doesn't deserve anything, and even the smallest thing he gets, he's grateful for. That's humility. That's genuine humility. Lack of thanks comes from a prideful heart, doesn't it? The lack of a thankful attitude comes from pride, beloved, from the conviction that we deserve something better than we have. A lot of people, to truth be known, kind of keep their options open. They're always looking for a better deal, a better deal. They're always looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead, rather than saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. Thank you with what you provided. Thank you for even the humble circumstances that I have. See, when we're thankful, that frees up an open door for us. That gives us the ability to live at peace and to be full of joy in the midst of our life rather than always being anxious about this, that, and the other thing in the future. Pride tries to convince us that our job, that our health, that our spouse, that whatever else in our life, most of what else we have uh, is not as good as we deserve. I want better. I want better. Pride is the root of the first sin, wasn't it? And it's the root of all sin, very simply. Beloved, when we cease with selfishness, we, we put Christ, we acknowledge His Lordship and His will at the forefront of our life. No longer me. Deny myself. Pick up my cross. Follow Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what Christians are. I had this argument, vigorous discussion, with a, with a, a guy that I know at, at, at this uh, gym that I go to yesterday morning. And uh, he was he was trying to tell me that Christianity is no different from every other religion. He just lump them all in the same basket. And he handed me a book, and he said he wanted me to read this book. And I said I'm going to read that book. I skimmed the table of contents. I, 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 I skimmed a couple of the chapters. I said this is this is this is foolishness. I said this is nothing, this is nothing but New Age dribble. This is not the truth. Although on the on the on the cover it said. The truth, you know. I said, this is not the truth. And he says, well, yeah, I suppose you can tell me about this Jesus stuff. I said, yes. I said, Jesus is the only way. And he wants us to follow him wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. I said, you can't lump biblical Christianity in with every other religion in the world, every other belief system in the world because biblical Christianity is entirely different. 
If you are a Christian, you are a person whom God has invaded your life. He's taken ownership of your life. And He is in the process of transforming you and moving you in a whole new direction that you could never move yourself in. I said, Christianity is not just another self-help philosophy. It's not just another sanctimonious system of works in which you try to make yourself better and worthy and, and, and admirable in other people's eyes and in your own eyes. Christianity is entirely different. There's nothing else like it. It requires God in your life. I said to him, I said, Jesus said, said it very succinctly. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And with that, he abruptly left. <laughs> So we're to be thankful always and for everything, aren't we? And as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, denying ourselves, dying to ourselves continually, being filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're able to do that. Now, question. How are we to be thankful? How are we to be thankful? You find this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul tells us how to be thankful. Huh? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are to be. You can't do anything without Him. Doesn't He say that? You can do nothing without me? John records those words in John chapter 15. Paul says the, the, the converse of that in, in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So no matter what it, what it is, even giving thanks, I can only give thanks in Christ. That means in relationship with Him. In dependence on Him. Paul says in Colossians 3.3, 3, he, says, he says the Christian is hidden in Christ. Paul is fond of that phrase, in Christ, in Christ. You see it laced throughout all of his, all of his letters to the churches. In Christ means that we are in this inseparable relationship with Jesus Christ. We are bound to Him. We are part of His body. And as such now, we can do nothing without Him. And so we give thanks always, always for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To whom do we give thanks? God the Father. God the Father. That's what He says. Isn't what Paul says? Always giving thanks. our Heavenly Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we thank our Heavenly Father. Didn't Jesus thank His Heavenly Father while He was on earth? Father, I thank You for this. I thank You for that. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, He said, pray this way, Our Father who in heaven. You say, well, does that mean, does that mean we, 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 we can't thank Jesus? No, I mean, you can thank Jesus. Because aren't Jesus and the Father one? But in a formal sense, we give thanks. We thank who? The Father. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. 
Beloved, Thanksgiving is such an essential part of our life as we prepare to take communion right now. I want you just to take some time, and, and as everyone is being served communion, I want you to just take some time to begin once again as you remember Jesus, remember what he's done on that cross, to begin to give thanks. If you're in the midst of trial and suffering and struggling right now, if you're, if you're in a valley, give thanks. Give thanks. If there's something out in your future, tomorrow, next week, next year, next month, whatever, that's scary, that's threatening you, give thanks. Give thanks. Let's use this time in anticipation of coming to the Lord's table to give thanks. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your love and your grace and your provision for our life. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death that we're about to commemorate through this communion meal. We thank you for your spirit who lives in us, who is continuing to work in us and change us, transform us, convict us, make us more like Jesus. Lord, we can never, ever thank you enough. We thank you for the good things, and we thank you for the difficult things. We thank you for your abundant provision. We thank you for your discipline. We thank you for the strength that you give us. We thank you for those moments of weakness. We must learn to wait on you, trust in you. Lord, touch each one of us tonight, please, in a very special way. Each one of us needs you. Each one of us acknowledges you. We love you tonight. And we give you thanks because your love endures forever. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, if you're with us for the first time and you're a Christian, we invite you to take communion with us. And the, the protocol is very simple. The trays will come down through the rows. The servers will pass. The matzah will come first. Take a little piece of matzah. Then the juice will come and take a little cup of juice. Hold on to them, please, until everyone is served. And use the intervening time to reflect on your own relationship with Jesus, your attitude towards Thanksgiving, the level of Thanksgiving to which you are finding yourself. Then after everyone is served, I'll come back and we'll all take communion together.
Christians are have been called the happiest people on earth. And when you think about it, it's an apropos description, isn't it? For we certainly should be the happiest people on earth. We have hope. We have confidence. We have freedom. We have power. We have every resource that God can give to any person. And all because of what these elements represent. This little piece of bread represents Jesus' body. This little cup represents his blood. In and of themselves, they're insignificant. A little chip of bread, a little speck of grape juice. And yet what they represent, incalculable in terms of their value. They're the avenue, they're the gate. They remind us of Jesus and what he has done so that you and I could have life, so that you and I could have fullness, so that you and I could be happy. The word that the Bible uses is blessed. Blessed. We are blessed people. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. That doesn't mean that the, the, the sins I'll commit tomorrow I don't need to repent of, but, but they're forgiven. God's not mad at me for what I'm going to do wrong tomorrow, either intentionally or just because I'm stupid. He's not mad at me. He says, keep coming. Keep coming. But then when he says, keep coming, he doesn't depend on me to keep coming by myself. He lives in me to move me. He's able to persuade me. He's able to influence me. He's able to empower me. And all I have to do is trust Him. That's all I, my part is to trust. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? Trust Him. Just trust Him. Watch what God does. And give Him thanks. For his love endures forever. Jesus took the bread and he blessed it the night before he died. He broke it. He distributed it to his disciples. And he said to them, this is my body. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, we trust you. We, we again reaffirm that we've taken you into our life. and You are our source of strength and sustenance. If you believe in Jesus, eat the bread. Thank you, Lord. We do this in faith of what you've done. And the cup, much as he did with the, with, the, with the bread, he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples. And he described the cup as the cup of the new covenant in his blood. No longer was it a covenant of works and self-generated effort. It's a new covenant. It's a new way. A new, new path has been opened that his blood would be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. It still cleanses us. It still cleanses us. So, Lord, we, we lift these cups, and we lift them with thankful hearts. And we love you tonight. Thank you for allowing us to gather. Thank you for bringing us together. 
that we can celebrate once again who you are, what you've done, and what you're continuing to do in us and through us. We look forward to your continued blessings, and we lift these cups in your name to Jesus. Amen? Turn to somebody and say, you know, I love Jesus. Do you? Let's stand and let's sing thanks. Let's give thanks to the Lord before we dismiss. Sing praises to the Lord, let love be glad his peace among the people. From the gates of Zion, I rejoice in your salvation. Oh Lord, you abide forever.